I'm your host John, and this is Japanese History for Gaijins, and I'm your guide as we delve into Japanese history. Thank you for all the nice comments on last episode, and for those who hadn't listened, that was all about the geography of Japan. You can go back and listen, or just keep on listening to this one. Now, we have our Japan built, and it's all ready. Now we need to fill it with people. First, to let you know about times in relation to people, I am going to use the more modern term BCE and CE, which stands for Before Common Era and Common Era. This is exactly the same as BC AD systems, but not based on Christianity. 100 BCE is 100 BC, and 100 AD is 100 CE. Got it? As Christianity doesn't really turn up in our story until about 1500 CE, it seems inappropriate to judge the timing using such a Eurocentric concept. So let's start at the beginning. Kinda. According to archaeological records, we have evidence of Neolithic people living in the area that would be Japan in around 10,000 BC. This is the Japanese Stone Age. Then horrible things happen. Well, the sea levels rise because science, and a lot of people get very wet. This thus creates the Japanese islands as we know them today. See last episode for notes. We have some pots that originate from around 7,500 BCE, according to the Met Museum. Woo, pots! Who doesn't love some pottery history? Seriously, this stuff is super important for. A lot of history, and it might be really boring, but it's actually not. Because the thing about pots is they give us knowledge of stuff before recorded history. They can tell us so much, like what is kept in them, what they were used for, how they were decorated, what material they're made out of. You can find so much from just tiny shards of pottery. I think it's amazing. We even know how these pots were decorated. These people took plant fibers and frayed them like rope, or like when your hair splits at the end when you've、uh, not been to the hairdresser in a while. Now, you then press these frayed parts against the pots when they were wet to make a pattern. This, in Japanese, is called the Jomon. So we call the people who did it the Jomon people, who live in the Jomon period. Simple, isn't it? Now, these people are not rice farmers, however, they are hunters and fishermen, and many of them came to the Japanese islands from the north, going via Siberia and Hokkaido to travel south, island jumping until they got to Japan proper. These people are really the more direct ancestors of the people we now call the Ainu, the native people to Hokkaido and northern Japan. However, they mix with another group of people and make the Japanese peoples we know today. Kinda, it's super complicated. Now, this other group of people, they're linked linguistically to the Korean and Mongol area. I'm saying linguistic because the concept of ethnicity here is weird and inappropriate and not totally applicable in prehistory. So, linguistic is slightly more accurate, but also a bit confusing. Now, these people arrive on the most western of Japan's island, Kyushu, and there is quickly a mix of culture between them and the Jomon people that inhabited the rest of the islands. This is all happening now, much closer to the present, at around 500 BCE, that these people 
start to come over in small migratory groups. This period is called the Yayoi period, after the neighbourhood in Tokyo where evidence for these people were first found. These people brought over from China the development of wet rice farming and bronze, which means we're officially in the Bronze Age, yay! Already. Now, they came via the Korean Peninsula, but in fact most of these developments were from the already booming Chinese Empire, which then came through Korea to Japan. The irony being that the development of Japanese society, though perceived as very ancient in the West, is actually one of the youngest in this area of Asia. So we're here at the Yuyoi period, it's around 200 BCE, and Kyushu is on its way to good development. We've got rice farming going, and we've also got bronze, so we've got that fun Japanese Bronze Age that I was talking about. However, I hope you enjoyed it, because that's finished. Because working of iron had already occurred in China, and it's begun to spread to Japan. This was incredibly sped up by the conquest of Northern Korea by the Han Dynasty of China, around the 1st century BCE. They set up a system of local governance around the area of modern-day Pyongyang. This closely situated centre of Chinese authority led to a much faster spread of ideas to Kyushu and the Japanese islands as a whole. This expansion and spread of iron and bronze objects to Japan was actually representative of an active part the Japanese people played in facilitating these technical developments. Our sources of these periods are essentially a combination of archaeological evidence and surviving evidence from the Chinese imperial records, which I don't know enough about to compile or even attempt to summarise. Just take the word of people much more intelligent than me that they are accurate. <laughs> In a way. These records show an exchange of Japanese visitors to the mainland to trade for objects and imperial boons. Now, by about 50 CE, so we've crossed, crossed the zero border as it were, we have evidence of a kingdom in Kyushu and a hundred countries in Japan. Now they're under some kind of relation or tributary status to the Chinese emperor. This is mostly in like words only as there's no evidence of any kind of Chinese authority on the Japanese islands bar acknowledging their existence. Now, Kyushu itself, as you might remember from last episode, it's one of the more resource poor areas in Japan. So the main reason for its important origin in Japanese civilization is its proximity to China and Korea. It also leads to some kind of unification in the very loosest terms of the area in northern Kyushu, with some expansion slash immigration to the eastern more resource rich areas of Japan in around this time. We have no clear dates, but I will do my best. The issue is that Chinese power in Korea diminishes around 250 CE, leading to a loss in more concrete sources. However, at around this period, we do have one last indication of 30 countries, more tribal territories controlled by a lord, that stretched across Kyushu far into Honshu, and was under the control of a queen. The text refers to a queen's country, which is either in northern Kyushu or in the Kansai and Yamato plains, where modern-day Osaka and Kyoto are. This is a huge historical argument, along with who on earth this queen actually really is. She is sometimes called Himiko, or Pimiko, and is a legendary figure, sometimes possibly based on another legendary figure of the Empress Jingu, 
who is apparently married to Japan's 14th emperor at around this period. This is a historical argument that has been going on for 400 years, so I have no clear answers. But, we are going to assume it's central Japan around modern day Osaka, Kyoto and Nara, the Kansai and Yamato plain, because that is where the definite centre of power is in around 369 CE, which we definitely know because the Japanese invade a part of Korea at that time. So, the idea of the most powerful family ruling from an area we established last episode is one of the most resource rich in the countries, after moving from the resource lacking Kyushu, is not an entirely stupid one. The Yamato Plain itself gives its name to the next period in Japanese history, the Yamato period, which we might get into in a couple of episodes. Now, those who are listening carefully will have heard me mention the 14th Emperor of Japan, yet there is nowhere near any kind of evidence of something to be an emperor of. Well, this is where the actual history rolls right into the official storied history of the Japanese emperor and its people, which though likely based on semi-true events, is not going to be factually correct, spoiler alert. Now this deserves its own episode, so I'm going to go more in-depth on its belief next episode, but now I'll give you a little taste to whet your appetite. It starts with the Emperor Jinmu, the first emperor of Japan, who apparently descended to Kyushu in around 600 BCE as a direct descendant of the sun goddess Amaterasu. Now, at this time he led his people east, finally overcoming the natives of the land and settling in the rich Kansai plain. Yes, I hope you can see why this is getting its own episode. If you were listening to all the episode before this, you'll realise this is stupidly early for something like that to have happened. Also organised by a descendant of a goddess who apparently lived to the age of 126. However, that's for next time. With Sansom, who is my main source for this era, he places the actual migration at a much more believable 300 to 350 CE as a kind of range. Now, that's a lot for today, as we've covered the first people of Japan, the evolving nature of something that now looks a lot like the start of a Japan. Even more important than what actually happened is maybe what people believed happened, or what they would like to believe. So next week will be the stories and beliefs of those people, as we look into the Emperor Jinmu and the beginning of Japanese Shinto. You want gods, goddesses, tragedy and spirits, and some amazingly complicated names. You'll have to tune in next time. That's a Madaraishu from me, and arigato gozaimashita for listening. Sayonara. <laughs>